We are supposed to have free education in Ireland, but free is a relative term. The average spend per child ahead of the start of the new school year is €1,209, an increase of about 2% on last year. There's money to be made, so who's making it? I'm Jonathan Healy, and this is Red Business. Red Business Podcast with CompuBe. Apple technology and solutions for your business. CompuBe.com slash business. And this week on Red Business, we're going to talk about going back to school, which is something that is happening right now. There are tears and tantrums. There's upset and excitement as school kids right across the country, right across Cork, go back to school for the new term. Now, the thing is, most of the work of my next guest has already been done, but it's still worth talking about the business and how it has been for the last few months and weeks. Damien Moriarty, founder of High Street Books, you're very welcome to Red Business. Thank you, Jonathan. Delighted to be here. Tell me, we, we met before. We did. Your business used to be up on In, Capwell Road. Correct. And that's when, you, when did you start that? 1999. Right. And um, your uh, business teacher Pat Morris and myself often spoke above the, and I think that's how you got to me originally through him. Uh, it, and it would have started out just as small yep. book selling business. It started out because I couldn't get books for my own son who was going to Cree Street as well. And um, he tried to get them in the bookshops in town and couldn't get them. So I said, well, I'll try and source them for you. And I couldn't. And I went to three or four different bookshops, and each one of them told me, I haven't got them, could you come back next week? And I said, well, at the time we were in the post office in High Street, I said, um, I could tell them to come back to my shop. And that's where the seed was sown. And books, school books, it was a relatively closed market at that point. There was, it about was yeah. one or two shops around town that you just have to go to, yeah. queue outside, get your books, and go away. There was no such thing as the internet back then. No, no, there wasn't. There was... Um, I suppose three major players at that stage, and um, uh, there was a couple of ladies in uh, Washington Street who were there even when I was going to school, and that wasn't yesterday or the day before, and uh, they've now gone out of business because they were retired, but uh, they were one of the main, uh, and then you had uh, Jane Kane at the courthouse, and you had uh, the shelf on George's Key. They were the three. Now... When you got into it, mm-hmm. how, how did you find it as an industry, selling school books? I mean, it's, 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 in many ways, it's a captive audience because uh, around this time of the year, people will always be looking for school books. Correct. Um, one of the misconceptions that uh, exists about our business is that anybody can make money out of it because you look at the queues that you have in August. But you don't have those queues in October, November, December, and it's... In our case, it's a 12-month industry, not a busy season, because our um, level of, uh, we'll say, employee reflects the amount of work that we do. So we'd have up to 50 during June, July, August, September, and we're down to a core staff about 10 or 12 for the rest of the year. And that peak... Describe what that is like. Is is it is it just a frantic all hands on deck for a couple of weeks? It depends. In June, we go and do a lot of primary school sales in the schools themselves, and that's for June when the schools go on holidays at the end of June. 
that power ceases. And then there's a tradition where after Children's Allowance Day in August, people started to source school books, school uniforms, because there was a tendency in years gone by to save up your children's allowance for June, July and August, collect it in August and then go shopping yeah. for the school. So that was, that's why there was the August. That's still tradition, yeah. <coughs> and there's still a rush then in August. And it goes until about the second Wednesday in September when everybody seems to have everything and they're quite happy there. Um, it's changed a lot because there's book rental schemes. Correct. Excuse me, that weren't there in your day or my day. Correct, yeah. Has that impacted on business? It has. Uh, and I brought a couple of pages there to support them. <coughs> One of them has a school book list which doesn't have any school books on it just copies, uh, composite, and so on. Second one is an order from a school where they've ordered 98 copies of this, 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 this. And the third one is a sheet which shows the full cost of the books to the parents if they have to buy them, and the cost if they take them as school rental. The full school book is 141 euro, and the school rental cost is 30 euro. And that's the change that has occurred. And, and, and it's obviously something that's bound to impact on business. Do you still have to sell the books to the school? Is there oh, yeah. still opportunity there for yep. you? Yeah. And what happens with us in that case, as I said, with the 98, 98 copies of this, this, and this, we now get the full school, um, what would you say, demand. Yeah. And it's not it's not um, dished out between us and other people. It's a, it's a, it's a, suppose it's, it's a niche industry to describe it. Like it that. is, yeah. And, and you told us it all started because your son couldn't find mm -hmm. a book. What mm -hmm. were you doing at that point? I had recently returned home from Australia where I was teaching for 20 years. So you so. were teaching Australia for 20 years. Yeah. What's the difference between the Australian system and the Irish system? The main difference is I was a maths teacher and a maths staff. We had nine or ten maths teachers and that's all we did was maths. And they compartmentalize an awful lot of like that. You have a science department, uh, an English department, a history department, and you stay with essentially single subject teaching. That's the main reason. Whereas main opposed to here is you might be teaching maths and, and a little bit of geography or maybe some science done yeah. in for good measure. Um, was it a big adjustment to come back to Ireland after those 20 years? Uh, it was. Um, we had left when... Uh, <laughs> As my father said, you were a cute man, you got out before things got tough. And we seemed to get back when things were on the up again. So um, we were lucky in one way. And um, I was quite happy then to come back here. Um, and, and then you, so you set up in Capwell. Mm -hmm. When did you decide to take the plunge and open? Was it Douglas your second shop? No, Wilton. Wilton. Um, There was a, a couple of, you know, when things go right, they go right for a variety of reasons, as I say. And what happened not long after we opened in Capwell Road, the Cork Main drainage system started up, which essentially closed the middle of the city. So people were looking to get their books, but didn't, didn't want to go into the city because they couldn't drive around. So we happened to be there. And then, as I say, the city fathers, in their wisdom, decided to extend the pay parking which took away the people who were parking in Capital Road all day. for, So it gave people a chance to pull up for five, ten minutes and get their books and go. And then when we had a look at this place in Wilton, what we have now, it was the same thing in that you could park outside the shop, which is a main 
uh, draw that we have yeah. for the and, and your Douglas shop is in Douglas sh- Court, is yep, it? Yeah, Douglas Court, yeah. And, and, and did you find a difference between the shopping centre model, where I suppose people's expectations are that you're the same as every other shop around you, or was it was it just again practicality, ease, people could get in and get out? It was the ease with which people can get in and get out. Mm. Mm. This is your second go at it. Then, if you were a teacher for twenty years, you didn't envisage your career that you'd, you'd be selling nope. books. No, never did, never <laughs> did. But what I did say when I was teaching was I would hate to end up as an old cranky old teacher so I think I got out at the Are right time. Are you a cranky old bookseller though? <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not. Some people yeah. What advice do you give to people then? Because that, that's an interesting turn in your career because you didn't see it coming. You saw you saw eventually you yeah. saw an opportunity. What lesson does that give you about business Damien? Um, the main thing is to be prudent and um, not uh, have any uh, false impressions of what you can and can't do. And I think one of the, you know, we all have our, within my company, we all have our uh, pluses and uh, good qualities and so on. And mine seems to be that I can manage the figures, which refers to the budget and... The maths teacher background. Not, possibly. Not, not to your detriment there. Correct, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it is most important, um, as I said, that you know where you're going, what you're doing and so on. And in our case, there is a slight... Um, what would you call it, wave effect. You don't do everything year to year. Sometimes it's a double, double and so on. And uh, you must be aware of the fact that you might lose money this year because you're ordering for the next two years and so on. Yeah, that so yeah, so in other words, you have to be, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a, common, a good business sense is what you need. Are you terrified of iPads? That no, is, no, no. The story I have about iPads is I remember trying to teach a class of 25 kids in the computing room when I was teaching 25 years ago. And I walked in, sat the kids down in the computing room, and after two seconds I realised I no longer had one class of 25 kids, I had 25 classes of one kid. And they were all, in maths it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And um, we soon found out, as I said, there were uh, eight or ten maths teachers, we soon found out that working with computers and trying to teach maths didn't work. And likewise, if you go to iPads, now there is a place for both, but um, there was a feeling that iPads was going to wipe out the schoolbook yeah. industry. Just won't happen. Because hasn't happened. Hasn't happened. Do you ever get the mammy coming in going, poor old Johnny's back is broken with all the books he has to carry to school every day, thinking that you somehow have a magical solution for poor but, old Johnny? Well, I had my poor grandson yesterday put on his school bag. He's going to school for the first time in a week's time, and he... He nearly peeled over. <laughs> uh, so, um, now, what will happen there is that, according as there's an increase all the time in the number of school book rental schemes that are on, and a lot of them keep the books in school, so that the amount of books that are in the back of the kids' uh, back aren't as much as what they used to be. So so, it's not as yeah, bad as it yeah. was. Uh, we'll be talking about this to the panel as well. What's your earliest childhood memory in school? Can you remember? Where did you go to school, first of all? St. Michael's Primary School. Let me put it like this to everybody that's out there. In Everton. In Everton? I'm Everton. I'm a true blue. You're a true blue. So yep. you, were you actually you went to primary school in the UK? Liverpool, yeah. And what was your first memory? The reading scheme. 
And it seems to be back in vogue now, where you have a series of ten readers, all yellow, and at the end of the series you've kind of a control book to read. And if you can read the control book, you then move on to the red. And there is a return in primary school to reading like that. Um, so that's my first memory. And it works for you, says it. It works well. <laughs> Still going. <laughs> I have to say, for a man who started his education in Liverpool, spent 20 years in Australia, Cork accent is fairly strong. Is it? Well, <laughs> we came home when I was uh, five and a half, so... <laughs> it was never too far never away. Too far. Never too far away. Damien Moriarty, founder of High Street Books. Enjoy the calm after the storm in the next few weeks, and uh, you'll only be gearing up for the next one. Thanks for joining us at Red Business. Thank you very much, Jonathan. The Red Business Podcast with CompuB Business, improving productivity with the latest Apple technology. CompuB.com. So it is the time of year when kids go back to school. Parents let out a little bit of a cheer, but the kids as a rule are generally quite miserable. So how do we get them through the course of the next couple of weeks? And how can we make sure that this is a better year of education than the last one? We have an expert panel with us on Red Business. Emmett O'Halloran, who is a career guidance expert. Connor Toomey, who's a tennis coach and an expert in lunch nutrition. And Elizabeth McKennedy, who is principal of Cork Educate Together National School. You're all very welcome to Red Business. Elizabeth, I'll go to you first of all. Is it really that difficult to get kids coming back through on day one? Do they look generally quite miserable? Usually day one isn't the bad one. It's by the end of the week that they're beginning to wilt again because they're not used to the early morning rising and the whole routine of it. But usually on day one, they're delighted to see their friends. It's back to telling the stories of the holidays and that. that. No, I, I was talking about the teachers, not the yeah. children. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, the teachers are miserable. <laughs> yeah. Is it a very challenging time of the year? I mean, obviously, once the academic side of it kicks in, kids do get used to the whole process again. Yeah, it, the, the start-up is challenging for everybody, for teachers to get back into the routine of it, for children to get into the routine, and for parents to kind of, you know, have that early morning thing going on, the lunch is ready, the homework coming home, all that, just starting off by week one, two, three, everything's back and running uh, national schools, I suppose, they're all the same and different at the same time. They're all different ways of dealing with this. Do you do anything specific to kind of ease the way in the transition? Well, we'd certainly ease them in uh, gently in terms of um, their start off. You're not going to be on top of them for punctuality for the first couple of days. You're going to allow some time for them to chat with each other and let off their little bits. And then we'd try to get as much outdoor time in September as we can. So we timetable them to get out to the playground as often as they can. Little breaks, mini okay. breaks. Well, let's talk to Connor about that. Connor, outdoor time is great in September, except that, well, September's normally quite good, isn't it? When the schools reopen, the, the summer tends traditionally to arrive then. Yeah. Um, well, the, the main thing is to keep your kids active. I mean, the HSE recommend that your kids do one hour of activity, moderate to, it, moderate to strong every day. So finding time like Elizabeth said, is very hard for parents. So in September, you should really look at a schedule for your child for the week and see that they're doing at least an hour a day, which can be very hard for parents. Tell me a little bit about your business, because you're a tennis coach. I'm a tennis coach. I'm a tennis coach in the local club here, Bishopstone Tennis Club, and we do coaching f six days a week, but we cater for all age groups. 
But the thing that's very good about tennis, it's an individual sport, which I think is very good for children to have as well as a team sport for decision making and lots of other things like that. But also you're trained by professionals. It's not volunteers who coach the tennis. We're all professionally trained. I was trained in DCU. So it's a great activity for kids. And we do tennis coaching has changed when kids come to a tennis club. No, they don't they don't get a racket in their hands. We teach them fundamental movement skills, fundamental motor skills, which over the last 10 years I've just seen completely mm. drop. I mean, and, and extracurricular stuff like that is important, Elizabeth, isn't it? Because, I mean, are you finding the kids are a little bit pudgier, a little more lazy, a little more prone to sitting in front of computer games than maybe there were a few years ago? Well, it's the style of their entertainment, really, has it tending towards that. So we would encourage children and uh, as far as possible to put a little bit of movement into getting to and from school. We have a good few children who arrive on their scooters walk a bit, cycle a bit. Even that starts them off properly, gets them a little bit of headspace in the morning. But yes, we it is a challenge to make sure that they do um, have themselves involved in activity. But even to... You know, something that I think is missing a little bit is the rough and tumble play. You know, the climbing trees. You, the... you can't do that. Sure, you get sued. No. If you fall over in the playground, sure, you'll be in the high court straight away. That's the myth. The reality is that it doesn't really happen very often. Yeah, no, it doesn't. And you have to allow for the fact that this can happen in your back garden as well as in the playground. And I think most people take that take that into account. But even the just the that aspect of things, yes, organised... Um, extracurricular is absolutely essential but don't underplay or underestimate the normal ordinary activity and the rough and tumble sort of play that mm. children need now, This is a business programme so let's talk about the business side of it though and we'll, we'll come to you in a second to talk to you about Emmett and the, the fact that you you have a business when theoretically it should be looked after by the state for the most part but uh, isn't but uh, Emmett is, is it a viable business for people to get into like you're doing tennis but then they're swimming and all the other types of things that you, if you really want to go posh, there's a question. Lots of different extracurricular activities and lots of people making money out of it. Yeah, well, definitely there's you have to make a living out of it. But I suppose the main thing as a tennis coach is you have to love the game first and foremost. And you have to have a passion for what you do. And I think that's what we have in our tennis club, at least. A lot of people shouldn't look at extracurricular activities as a business, they should look at it as something that their kids should be doing. And there's obviously a business side to it as well. I mean, as Elizabeth touched on there, one of the biggest things about modern society is danger stranger, snowflake generation, wrapped in cotton wool. I mean, even my, my biggest bugbear is I see kids going into school and their parents holding their bags. So the parents are holding the bags. Parents are holding their bags. What's in the bags? Rocks. <laughs> I know. So like even small things like that, getting your child to hold their bag going into school, all those things are so important. But yes, there is a business side to it. It's tough being a tennis coach, especially with the weather we have in this country. So obviously infrastructure is huge. If there was more money spent by government on infrastructure, we'd be able to provide more exercise for our kids. Yeah. So the weather is definitely an issue. But Well, we can't do anything about that, unfortunately. Um, Emma Halloran, let's talk to you. Uh, career guidance is something that is a bit hit and miss depending on the school you go to. Um, and... I'd imagine cutbacks in recent years haven't helped. I mean, you have a private uh, practice for career guidance. How busy have you been? Yeah, it's been a, it's been a busy couple of years. Um, obviously, as you said, um, in recent years, uh, government cut funding to career guidance and guidance counselling provision. Luckily, um, that's been reversed uh, and there is huge investment coming back into the area of guidance counselling. 
but the reality is it hasn't hit the front line yet. Um, in terms of myself, I've been quite busy in, in, in recent years, um, you know, one-to-one guidance, private guidance, um, where I'd go to the home uh, of a Leaving Cert or a fifth-year student, meet with their parents and do several sessions with the student. Well, what do they come with? Is there a common trend through all of these kids? Is it, I don't know what I want to do, or I do know what I want to do and I want to know how to get to it? Yeah, you would get a lot of students who literally um, wouldn't know what, what they want to do. Um, I, I find a lot of the time you have students who know what they want to do as their first choice, but the danger is plan B and plan C and plan D. Um, and that's that's as important. Um, it's a bit like, I suppose, voting in an election. Who do you give your number one to? But your twos and threes and fours are equally as important as well. Um, You've spoken like a true man who was uh, once involved in <laughs> politics, but go on. Yeah, so, um, you know, so th- those are important. And I know uh, this morning, as, as CEO offers are being um, offered, you know, people will be delighted that they're receiving their second choice. So a lot of the time, I suppose, my role would have been working with the student and the parents, because let's face it, the whole family do a leaving cert. The whole family are invested in it financially, emotionally and everything else. Um, sitting down with the student saying, OK, well, if you don't get law in UCC, what are your options? Or if you don't get biochem in UCC, what are your options in CIT or other colleges? Or a, hu- a huge area that, that's grown in, pop- in, in popularity now is the, is the further education colleges as well as a backdoor route into... Yeah, and, and a lot of people are taking that opportunity maybe the 17 year old who's a bit too young or maybe someone who isn't mature enough maturity is a big thing I mean you, you presumably would see that as well a lot even in primary school Elizabeth some kids are more mature than others and uh, they'll be the ones who'll escape the madhouse first yeah and that is um, so important uh, that you know to start at that at the primary school age to you know, uh, allow children to grow in, particularly in resilience, um, so that they're able for the good bits and the the bad bits don't knock them off course completely. And really, your uh, our role definitely is in preparing the whole child for that secondary school experience. H- how set in stone is it when you send them out to secondary school? Like when you look at a sixth class. Do you know the ones who are academically going to be the 600-point student or whatever it is now? I don't actually, I, I've, I, I've given up trying to work out what the new system is. Um, but do you know the ones that are going to be that kind of kid? Do you know the ones who will be the grafter? Do you know the ones who are going to struggle? You'd have a fair idea. Obviously, you'd have a fair idea. But then what's wonderful is um, there's always the opportunity for a child to become a late bloomer. And you will come across that child who was... You know, Trina Kayla in primary school and they just come into their own in secondary school. Similarly, in third level, you'll have the child who leaves secondary school a little bit all over the place and and third level just suits them. So you have to allow for that with a child, with every child as well. But yeah, obviously for a lot of children, you would have an idea. I want to talk about the parents and all of this as well because uh, it's a difficult time for parents because the the summer juggling of who looks after the kids is over and now we're back to the, the wintertime juggling of what time is he finished at and then he has to go to the tennis club at that time and he's got a guidance training session counsellor counselor session at what time it's very difficult for parents uh, particularly ones who are who are busy running their own lives who are doing their own business what, w- what would you tell them Emmett in terms of advice well I can speak as a parent of a five year old and a three year old who are cooped up at home and it's raining outside um, it's been a long summer uh, between camps and you know different things going on and I think towards the end of August they do get edgy um, and I think 
you know, we were speaking earlier about getting them settled. I think a lot of kids welcome the routine um, and welcome knowing that they're going to be in school at a certain time, despite what we might think ourselves. Um, so the advice I would give other parents and, and you know, anyone particularly might be starting second level um, is, I suppose, just reassuring your son or daughter that second secondary school isn't as scary as, as you know, they think it might be. Like a big challenge for, for our students coming in in first year is knowing what class do I need to be in at a certain time? You must remember when when they've been in primary school, they've probably had the same teacher for the year in the same classroom at the same time. Getting used and getting to grips with the you know changing timetables and all of the rest, new people in in class that they mightn't have met before, um, they're they're things that we put a lot of work into. Um, I think it's worth saying as well is that the relationship between second secondary schools and primary schools as well in terms of communication has greatly improved over years uh, over the years so there's things like educational passports where um primary schools are I suppose passing on the information they have on students around special needs and and other other I suppose learning difficulties that people might have and we a lot of the, the, the secondary schools go out and proactively speak to the primary schools, saying, OK, we have an intake from, from you this year of 20 students. Can you just give us a quick rundown on, on, on the students and what we need to know? Mm. And it, as well, like the, 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 I suppose as an educator myself, the, the key resource for finding out about, about how to manage a child is from the parents. They have a better grip. Like, like a, a mother or father will know their son or daughter better than anybody else. So I, I think as an educator, they're a key part for us as well to support them in terms of progressing them along. I just want to finish up by asking each of you about your earliest school memory. And I was struggling with this earlier on. And I, it's it, it's a funny one. It's an old projector. Do you remember the old projectors that used to have the film and you'd slip it in and the light used to shine and go onto the board? And it was literally a storyboard yeah. uh, told. And that for me is, is my earliest school memory up in Skullbaranefa in Ballon Temple uh, in Miss Mulcahy's class. And a, a very strong memory for me. Um, Connor, what's your earliest school memory? I think my earliest school memory was trying to learn the catechism and remember being terrified when the bishop was coming in. And I had all dread that I might go to hell if I, want, if, I, if I wasn't able to answer the questions. And I think I never studied anything as much in my life as I did the catechism. So if the bishop was standing over you for every other educational opportunity, or you'd have flown it. If he'd been there in secondary school, I probably wouldn't be a tennis coach. No, I'd probably be a doctor <laughs> or a surgeon. So a that was my earliest memory. A priest. <laughs> a priest, yeah, yeah. Uh, Elizabeth, for you? Well, um, back with Miss Byrne in Sandyford a long time ago, I would say the day the window banged in and knocked the flasks off the windowsill. Scaring the daylights out of every Absolutely. one of you. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and also facing home with a broken flask. <laughs> <laughs> and another challenge. Emmett, for you? 1989, I think, uh, standing at the top of the hill of Skull Cree Street, watching Liam McCarthy and Sam McGuire come up the hill. <laughs> That's it, a strong memory. Good man. Good Cree Street memory there. So always, yeah. bring it, always bring it back to the GAA. Yeah. It's been a pleasure talking to you all. Good luck uh, to all who are starting school or starting secondary school or in a couple of days, a couple of weeks, even uh, starting college. Emmett O'Halloran, career guidance expert. Elizabeth McKennedy, principal of the Cork Educate Together National School. And Connor Tooby, tennis coach and lunchbox expert. Thank Thank you very much for joining us on Red Business. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Jonathan. My thanks to all of my guests and good luck to all of those starting the new term. Hopefully there weren't too many tears and tantrums. Neave Hennessy helped put it all together. We'll catch you on the next one.
the Red Business Podcast with CompuB. Apple technology and solutions for your business. CompuB.com.